couldn't keep track of the frequency changes that I needed to do. I wasn't following my checklists. I was forgetting checklist items. Like I was so disoriented and just couldn't follow a logical train of reasoning. Yeah, yeah. And that was an immediate indication to me within the period that I started to get motion sick, but I could immediately tell like something is wrong. You need to watch out for these physical changes coming, coming thereafter. Do you rest at that point or what do you do at that point? There typically no, um, it's a tidal wave, you know, you can build yourself a little sandcastle to try to, you know, (laughs) stop the water from hitting you immediately, but there's nothing that you can do. I mean, Mm -hmm. This is your host, Dr. Daniel Avasar. I am a brain injury survivor turned neuroscientist. I got into neuroscience to help me make sense of what happened to my mind after my traumatic brain injury. When I was 18 years old, I suffered a severe traumatic brain injury, and it took me about seven years to regain my cognition, my memory, and to get used to the changes that took place in my mind. I hid what I had been through, and I worked very hard at school. I earned a PhD in neuroscience from Dartmouth, followed by a postdoc researcher position at the University of Oregon. I studied the brain at a neurophysiological, cellular, and systems level, which left me with a bottom-up perspective of what had changed in me after my brain injury. But across my recovery, my education, and my research, I never found anything that accurately represents the brain injury survivor's experience. Once I started meeting other brain injury survivors, I realized how important it is to hear about our experiences firsthand. This podcast is devoted to in-depth discussion with other brain injury survivors, focused on our experiences, our problems, and the ways we have found to navigate our lives and our struggles. I hope to connect brain injury survivors through our stories. I hope to help the non-brain injured world learn more about what we are dealing with. And when possible, I hope to connect what is known about the brain with our unique experiences. Welcome to Experiencing My Brain. The views and opinions expressed in the Experiencing My Brain podcast are intended to promote awareness and provide information of what brain injury survivors have to deal with. This information should not be considered as medical or clinical advice. Consult with a qualified healthcare provider if you or any other person are experiencing any medical issues. Never disregard or delay medical advice because of something that you may have heard on this podcast. Most people I have met who have had a brain injury have to deal with a multitude of problems, like a lot of different inner levels, such as vestibular, vision, perceptions, feelings of inner self, parts of your feelings, parts of your abilities to manage your feelings. And then as I continue this list, I feel like the actual details, the actual experience gets completely lost. 
I am grateful for meeting Patrick because his ability to remember and articulate his problems is remarkable. And I think it's useful to help other people gain a better sense of what brain injury feels like. It's just really hard to explain, and it's even harder to find something to do about it. This is episode five of Experiencing My Brain. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay, yeah. all things considered. Um been imp- improving a lot since my most recent setbacks. I'm not motion sick all the time, which is good. Um, oh, that's big, yeah. Yeah, and I was having like pretty significant eye strain and light sensitivities. These are kind of my new prism lenses and some little occlusions as well. And those seem to make a huge difference. I wear them like 24 hours a day. And if nice. I stop wearing them for more than like 20 or 30 minutes, uh, my headaches come back. I start to get sick. It's, it's really strange. Um, so I feel like I've been getting a lot better throughout the course of the last like week and a half. That's great. What, um, what was that vertigo or, you know, whatever you want to call it? What, what was that like? And when it went away, did it go away gradually or did it feel like the glasses like straight up changed it? The glasses made a, a big difference. Um, basically I had received these lenses like three days before I got hit in the face again and was back to, you know, visual tracers and being nauseous all the time. And it's like, I was on a sailboat and I could never get off, um, like 24 hours a day. Wow. And, uh, so I got these lenses, I had another brain injury and then, um, kind of dealt with it for a couple of weeks and was in really, really bad shape. And so I flew back out to Chicago to see the specialist that had prescribed me these lenses. And so they just made some little changes to the occlusions that are on the insides of my glasses. Mm-hmm. And they applied them and I put the glasses on and I was sitting in the waiting room and I was so sick during these exams. Like I was, I was really feeling like, you know, they should have a garbage can somewhere nearby because I'm not sure if this is, you know, <laughs> going to happen or not. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I put them on, and I was sitting in the waiting room, and I just felt like my my nausea just, like, decreased, 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 decreased. Wow. And so, like, by the time I got back to the hotel room, I was, like, fine. And that was the first time in, like, three and a half weeks that I hadn't been, like, severely sick all day long. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so it, it made an immediate difference. Um, unfortunately, there were some technical complications and I had to redo the occlusions myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, I, what is the that. occlusion? What Can you explain that? Like, what does that mean exactly? So all it is is basically like three layers of scotch tape cut out in a particular pattern. And the idea is that it essentially changes how light enters the retina. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by doing so, it directs light to different parts of your optic nerve and so therefore stimulates certain parts of your visual cortex that was probably damaged by the brain injury and so it has helped me significantly because what happens like my brain injury was uh very visual in nature like Mm -hmm. the most significant impacts that i saw were to my vision what i've learned as time has gone on is essentially my eyes turned outward um, mm. and so especially in my left eye, 
And so that resulted in huge amounts of eye strain and redness because my left eye was constantly trying to turn in to focus on, uh, you know, close targets, right. so like looking at, at screens. And so that triggered like massive headaches um, and like nausea and vertigo and all kinds of like not fun visual um, symptoms. I found that vision therapy helped to a certain extent, um, but I was still dealing with the eye strain and I was still dealing with, you know, issues with depth perception and, and other things. So I, I did vision therapy for about six months. Wow, that's a long time for vision therapy. Yeah. yeah. And I had, in that time that I was doing vision therapy, had had two additional brain injuries. So, like, clearly my depth perception was still screwy. And there were still kind of underlying uh, visual issues that the vision therapy wasn't treating. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had read about this, this practitioner in Chicago. Um, her name is Deborah Zelinsky through a book called The Ghost in My Brain. You know, I'd kind of parsed through it, you know, because I was so limited in terms of my ability to read and had learned about these these two practitioners, one of whom is a neurooptometrist and the other is a, a PhD with a specialization in cognitive restructuring. Mm-hmm. So I had I had done the vision therapy thing. I'd found it to be somewhat helpful, but didn't really make a significant difference. So I finally just like got to the point where I was so frustrated with continuing to have head injuries, continuing to walk into stuff still having a really hard time reading, having tons of eye strain and just being like super fatigued all the time that I finally just like broke down and hopped on a plane uh, to go and see them. And um, I have found that to be the biggest breakthrough in my recovery in almost a year. If you don't have the vision plus the vertigo plus all these other symptoms, nothing else is going to function. Like that's probably one of the most debilitating problems as a whole from what you described i didn't have the vertigo but i've met a lot of people that had and i don't know if i would have made it if i had that you know it's, it's such a mess with your every moment feeling and uh, i remember the last time that i was significantly seasick i was probably about five or six years old yeah and i ended up like throwing up all over the deck and that was the last time that i got motion sick from that point on i never got sick up until having these brain injuries And it's a feeling that I hate above all else. Like you can, I will take headaches. I will take maybe not cognitive confusion, but I will take any other physical symptom besides feeling motion sick. It's awful. I definitely had a conditioned aversion because that's the problem with the sailboat or if you're out on the ocean is that you can't get away from it. Like Mm -hmm. if you get, if you start to get motion sick, you're, you're screwed. Nausea, motion sickness, vertigo, any of those kind of like, uh, vestibular symptoms and yeah. so that like when those symptoms started appearing recently as well as like initially with my brain injury it's like all of the alarm bells in the entire world going off so you're in this like constant state of of fear and anxiety about your symptoms and that prevents you from doing anything else like it it, it really just shuts down your entire body almost. yeah yeah i know for me there was so much anxiety. I would never get better and that I couldn't get better. Um, after five years, let's say, of like repeating things a million times until I, I got the, the systems back, the cognitive abilities back, I realized like if I didn't have the anxiety, 
it would have been so much easier. Like if, if I didn't have that daunting, it's it's hard to, um, I guess anxiety can have many forms, but that's a weird one. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I look at my, I mean, obviously COVID is kind of a confounding variable, um, to, you know, remove the influence of COVID in terms of my current lifestyle compared to my lifestyle prior to COVID and prior to having a brain injury. But yeah, I mean, I, I had gotten my pilot's license less than three or four weeks prior to my brain injury. So, I mean, I had been training constantly for six or seven months up to that point, Mm -hmm. whether that was ground school or like practical flying. So like that was the, the biggest fear that I had and, and still honestly continue to have is that I'll never be able to be about my cognitive facilities and be able to rely on my vision enough to be able to get back into the airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that was so frightening because that was my lifelong dream to become a pilot. You know, it's just one of those things where that anxiety really ate me alive for, for many months and really has only started to resolve itself recently. So you're a year after you're roughly a year from your first, injury then yeah can you talk about the different concussions and the different changes that happen yeah every brain injury is is different um i'll I'll try to send you a link to this uh brain mind video that was uh from an former nfl player and he was talking about how also every one of his concussions was different Mm -hmm. um and i can completely concur with what he was saying his symptoms were obviously much more severe because he was getting in you know, car crashes, basically, you know, for me, my initial concussion, uh, in November of last year was very physical. My vision was disrupted, lots of headaches, lots of, um, light sensitivity, sound sensitivity. So like the world just became very painful to interact with. So what'd you do? Um, just, I just isolated for months. Um, So I was wearing sunglasses all the time. Um, I took a bunch of days off work and eventually quit my job. Like I couldn't go out to the bars. I couldn't be in, in public places really. I got sick in that period. There's a lot of like converging factors simultaneously um, that just screwed with my physical symptoms or my, you know, my physical body, I would say a lot. I, I think of like our brain as like the world from the outside and then what it produces on the inside. Yeah, and I never, that, I had yeah. never really thought of a disconnect between like the outside world and like my in, internal perception of the world, uh-huh. but that was like significant. I remember very clearly. Um, so I had my brain injury on a Thursday. And so uh, another part of my concussions is that it takes about 24 to 48 hours for my symptoms to show up from the moment of impact. Interesting. So I had my concussion on a Thursday night. I took a fall playing football and playing like, you know, flag football, rec flag football with some friends, took a fall and hit my head on the concrete or on the, the AstroTurf, which is just, you know, synthetic fibers over concrete and continued playing and got hit a bunch more times throughout the course of that game. So you're still running into each other, yeah. um, trying to get to get to the ball carrier. It's So I, I got hit a bunch more times throughout the course of that night. So Thursday got really fucked up, but I wasn't aware of it until like Saturday morning, I would mm. say. I remember there was an away football game. 
So everybody's in my living room, you know, my, my roommates and my friends are all watching the football game in the living room. And I am just like very disoriented. I go out to try to watch the game for a little bit. One of my like mutual friends that was over, we'd like scored a touchdown and he started like slamming his hand on the table. And we had this little like Christmas tree on the table and some of the, um, the like miniature ornaments had fallen off and were on the table. And I remember him hitting the table and there's like the shotgun blast in my head. And then all of the little ornaments bounced up off the table and came back down. And it was like another shotgun blast. Wow. And I just like could not handle it. Like I had to leave after like five or 10 minutes and just like retreat into my room basically. So very physical. Um, my first, first concussion but my second concussion was the one that really got me um i by that point it was in late january so i think it was like the 29th or the 30th of january right before my birthday so like a few Um, months a few months later yeah Yeah. so by that point i had been cleared by my doctors they were like yep you're good to go ski like i went up over martin luther king jr weekend i was Mm -hmm. feeling a lot better you know things were starting to improve and um kind of like getting back to my life basically and I felt like you know I was good like I'd gotten pretty screwed up but I was going to be okay yeah but I was like playing pool with a friend of mine I had taken taken the shot and I had lifted up the pool cue in my right hand mm-hmm. because I had you know missed a shot and I was walking away and it slipped out of my hand and collided directly with my forehead so oh. just hit me like smack dab <laughs> center in the center of my forehead and I remember being very stunned like I stood there for like five or six seconds with my eyes closed and I opened my eyes and looked over at the other people at the bar like hoping that they hadn't noticed that I had hit myself in the head yeah and I remember I like tried to have a conversation with my friend you know he's going through some some tough you know he's like broken up with his girlfriend and I was trying to you know be present with him but I just remember like slowly starting to lose my train of thought and then the following day, I had class, and my prof- and I remember like trying to answer my professor's questions. Mm-hmm. I had always been very active and engaged in class discussions. So I raised my hand and I was trying to answer it. I just found myself just rambling on, like I wasn't addressing the question. I couldn't really stop myself from talking. Yeah. yeah. Um, things just progressively started to get worse. Like my short-term memory was gone. I couldn't remember if I had brushed my teeth or eaten a meal, you know, two hours earlier in the day. I would have like memory attacks where I like went to my yoga class and then got food afterwards. And then as I was about to leave, I like panicked because I couldn't find my backpack. I was like, where the fuck is my backpack? Did somebody steal my backpack? And it took me like two minutes to realize that I had never brought my backpack to my yoga class in the first place. Right, right, right. My uh, emotional state was just completely ruined. People don't get it almost at all. That's the stuff I dealt with. And it, it for me, it was maddening. You know, it was crazy. No, people yeah. don't. <laughs> I, it's in addition to all the cognitive issues. I Weeks later, I was forgetting what days my classes were on you know i would go home to my apartment not realizing that i had a class immediately after the previous one like i had to check my calendar like 40 times a day 
like everything sure was I, off yeah um yeah everything was off i was kept... totally totally lost all the time um but you were in you school know, and you kept you kept at it you kept going yeah but wow. everything changed yeah. um i had to drop my business capstone class which was essentially withdrawing from my business honors program and i had a huge my professor was so completely misunderstanding of what was going on. I mm -hmm. think that she thought that I was just fucking up and, and couldn't handle, you know, the pressure and, and whatever. I'd gotten like a, you know, a, a D plus on my midterm exam for her class. Like I was on the verge of failing and I had to drop it, you know, just before yeah. the, the, the withdrawal deadline. And she was so angry at me. And I just couldn't, I couldn't process it. I couldn't handle it. I had no idea what to say. I tried to explain to her what was going on with me. And she was just so completely just dismissive. And I had updated her throughout the process. I had, I, she was well aware of what was happening and, and she still just didn't care. And uh, so I dropped down to like eight credits and, you know, barely survived, you know, making it through those remaining courses and changed my thesis topic and withdrew from my thesis prospectus course. I mean, it just completely screwed up and, and consequences I'm still dealing with because I have yeah. barely even started on my thesis. Consequences that, that you know, months later, I'm, I'm still on the chopping block for. My, my first concussion was significant, mm -hmm. but I still was able to take my finals and I did really well. And I could, I was still able to, to work and go to my yoga classes. Um, but after that second concussion, like I just, I could not cope. Like I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. You put your finger on it in the sense that does you know, the memory and cognition, I guess is like the big umbrella, but I mean, it's moment to moment cognition and thinking and memory. It's all of these things that our brain is constantly doing. If you lose that, you're it's it's um it's not even debilitating because debilitating suggests that you can't move through it. It's the the mind's ability to go through these basic processes. And the emotional stuff, I remember that before my brain injury. I was always pretty emotionally, I guess, regulated. I couldn't handle Me anything. Too. And it was I think I just felt very lost. But oh, yeah. um, but I struggled with suicidal ideation. I struggled with, you know, really even just like wanting to get up in the morning. I mean, I was so depressed um, and and was just so completely emotionally dysregulated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had been dealing with similar things leading up to my brain injuries, but I think I also sustained a number of brain injuries, you know, sub-concussive brain injuries prior to my really significant injuries as right. a result of skiing because um, I was a very prolific downhill skier in college and took a lot of big falls um, mm. throughout the course of the prior two seasons or prior three seasons. And so I would sort of started to struggle with emotional dysregulation and ruminating and kind of like obsessive type behavior. Um, but the, the brain injury really blew everything wide open. I mean, that was, I almost view like my frontal cortex as kind of being like the dam that just prevents everything from sort of spilling out. Yeah. And yeah. that last brain injury in January just blew everything wide open. And I was, I was a, 
I was a fucking disaster for, <laughs> for months, for months and months and months thereafter. Um, I feel like only now have I started to kind of find my emotional center again, mm-hmm. but that's after, you know, six months of intensive cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, exercise. I finally have been able to get to a point where I'm not obsessing about my injury. I'm not, you know, not fearful of the future. I'm not constantly in my head. Um, but it's, it's really only within the last, you know, month or two, if that, um, so yeah, I mean, emotional dysregulation, lack of executive functioning, like memory issues. Yeah. I I had a, I had a fantastic memory prior to my, my brain injury in January. And I could remember little details from many years prior. And now I have a whiteboard back here that I, I track every basic self-care item that I do throughout the day. You know, Mm -hmm. have I brushed my teeth? Have I done my, you know, cognitive exercises? Have I done any kind of physical exercise? You know, have I eaten meals? Like it's, it's literally as basic as that. Like I have to write down everything that I do throughout the course of the day because there's a possibility that I won't remember it. The first year was just getting my mind around how much was missing and only beginning starting to change it. If you got that list going, that's great. Um, I started writing everything like, um, really just a million times. And then the other thing I learned, the repetition alone, I used to try to remember, but instead of just trying to remember, just write it and then write it again, then write it again. This is, um, you know, everything from basic words and terms to, I remember I'd be reading papers and everyone like just knew the words in the papers. And I'm like, I don't even know. I understood the concepts. I couldn't remember the basic words. And I'm like, okay, I just got to start writing it down. And Early when we met was around the time that you got the dog, your dog headbutted you. Is that the one in January? No, yeah. no, that was, that was recently. Um, yeah. So I, I would say that in the last 12 months I've had probably five brain injuries wow. of varying degrees. Um, so I had the, I made it like four or five months without having another brain injury and that, and was feeling a lot better vision therapy was working same thing where mm-hmm. the feeling of like i'm getting back to normal like i'm getting back to my life i'm getting back to driving regaining my independence things are looking good and then my dog jumped up and 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 hit me really hard i mean like i it was one of those things where i just is the same thing where i had to stop yeah and just like center for like a couple of seconds before i could just like realize what was happening it was the same thing. Like I was like, I remember like it's a, a dumb anecdote, but like I had Chinese food. We had gotten Chinese food before we came home mm-hmm. and I'd gotten these, like the, the fortune cookies and I ate the entire fortune cookie. It was like a, it was like a chocolate covered fortune cookie that I didn't think had a little slip of paper in it. Uh-huh. So I just ate the whole thing. <laughs> and without realizing it, I swallowed the, the little paper, you know, fortune thing. Wow. And it was, I just remember being like, why the fuck? Like, why would I do that? I have no, like, that's such a, a stupid, mindless thing to do. Yeah, no, and, it's, it's easy. It's easy to do that when, yeah, when you don't have those parts of you. Um. Yeah, totally disoriented. So that, and then I had the, I had a, um, I had a 
boat building accident where something fell and hit oh, the yeah, chin, basically. Yeah. And that was the one a couple weeks ago that resulted in all these new nausea symptoms. So those, those are like the big oh, four. Wow. And then I had a couple of times where I walked into low-hanging objects or whatever that I wouldn't really count as like significant concussions. But if I've had like four big brain injuries and I probably had like a dozen sub-concussive brain injuries where I've like walked into an extension cord hanging down in my garage or like walked into a doorway or like walked into a set of two by fours hanging out of the truck, like little hits that, that I have to like hope that they're not brain injuries that I'm aware of. That anxiety that hits. So when the dog one happened to you, my son headbutted me and he's got like this hard little head. And I think I had one of those where, you're so nervous about if it's going to lead to something and then yeah you really have to monitor yourself which obviously with a brain injury is hard to do but like there's always tells for me where it's like okay this is big you know mm-hmm. this is something that like with the yeah. um for my boat building accident a couple weeks ago it was i tried to do a flight i have this whole flight sim rig in my room and I had been doing a lot of flights and I had been kind of progressively building up the realism and, and, I, and I tried to do a flight mm-hmm. and I was just a disaster. Like I couldn't, I couldn't keep track of the frequency changes that I needed to do. I wasn't following my checklists. I was forgetting checklist items. Like I was so disoriented and just couldn't follow a logical train of reasoning. Yeah, yeah. And that was an immediate indication to me within the period that I started to get motion sick but I could immediately tell like something is wrong and you need to watch out for these physical changes coming, coming thereafter. Do you rest at that point or what do you do at that point? There typically no, um, it's a tidal wave, you know, you can build yourself a little sandcastle to try to, you know, (laughs) stop the water from hitting you immediately, but there's nothing that you can do. I mean, Mm -hmm. even though people say, Oh yeah, you can reduce the, duration and intensity of your recovery by you know holding yourself up in your room for three weeks and having no interaction with the outside world whatsoever i have never really found that to be helpful um plus it's so depressing and exhausting you're just left with what's in your head it's no you can't that that is like the most unfair thing that people tell people with brain injuries to do is just like you know essentially put yourself in solitary confinement yeah. because that's the, that's the balance that you have to strike with a recovering from a brain injury is doing things that make you happy and hopefully not having those activities um, spike your symptoms. And in but, that, in that sense, there's obviously a balance. Like, um, you know, when I got home from the hospital, my parents were like, we need to get you a helmet. And I guess I don't remember, but I was avidly against it. I didn't want to be walking around with a helmet in my own house. And then one day yeah. I agreed to it. And then the rest of the time until I got the plate in my head, I just wore a ski helmet. Um, yours is mm-hmm. pretty nice. I don't have the chin strap. But um, mm-hmm. wearing that in the house, it doesn't hurt, especially if we're at home. This is another thing I want to talk to you about. In those weeks when I was home after the hospital, that's when I first everything was strange and I couldn't understand why. And then I realized, oh, it's my mind. It's whatever was in me was gone. And can't really explain that. You mentioned solitary confinement. So going back to the idea of 
what happens in us when we're in solitary confinement. But what, I w- what, what you would be left with in your mind, what's in your head, that was gone. And I think of it like um, there's a default network in the brain. There's all these other networks within us that produce us like either I lost that or I lost part of it or I lost the cognitive elements of that. But it was the most bizarre thing I've ever felt. And um, now I think about it like the self is something that our brain produces and I lost plenty of other things. So why not at least somewhat lose that part? Yeah, I mean, I I feel the same way. I remember prior, you know, I had always been a very visual thinker. Think about what I was going to do. Think about projects. A lot of parallel processing. And I really used sleep and dreaming to kind of like organize what, how it is that I was going to approach the following day or the following week or the following month or following year. So it was a really important part of my planning and goal setting and organization. And I remember the night before my brain injury in January, I had been doing that, looking forward to the coming days and weeks and what it is that I needed to do. And, and the day, the, the night, not the night of my brain injury, but the following night after my brain injury, I remember very clearly that that internal dialogue just disappeared. Yeah. And my ability to visualize, so this is another symptom of my brain injury, is it's known as, as aphantasia. Mm-hmm. Um, but the inability to produce, or, or at least extreme difficulty in producing um, any kind of mental imagery, voluntary mental imagery, I, it was just completely black. Yeah. And that was by far one of the most disturbing things that happened to me after this very significant, you know, frontal lobe injury, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. frontal lobe concussion. And it was just gone. It well, it's one you. And it's, it's never come back. Yeah, it that's the thing. You. It's us. It, and, you know, I, I, I try to explain it. To, I got someone to think about it. Like, I'm like, do you know who you are, like, as a person? And they're like, yeah, I've been this way since eight. And I'm like, what if that was gone? And they're like, well, then what do you do? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still dealing with it. I, I guess yeah. I got used to it. I guess I got used to it is what happened. But it was the most strange thing I've ever experienced. Oh, I know. And, and, yeah. and that's the thing. I think for extremely, like for very high functioning intellectuals, it's a massive, massive change in a very short period of time. If you, you know, if you're somebody who's not in an educational setting where you're needing to learn things all the time, you know, a concussion can be less impactful because you're... But, we don't, but we don't really know that because I don't, you know, whoever we're talking about, let's say, they're... For every human, our inner world is very much our inner world. I think that's the beauty of our nervous system because it creates that and it's seamless. It is reality. You know, that that's the, it produces our reality. And when that changes, even if you're not an academic, let's say, what are you? You know, like you're a sailor, or you're a boat builder, you're, whatever you are. It's like, that's still your world. And when it's gone, it's just... um. I've never gotten others to understand that, but I've now met people who have had that too. And I'm like, yes, at least, at least I'm not crazy. Yeah. I mean, how the, how the hell do you explain to someone that, you know, I had a head injury and now I can't visualize anything. Yeah. And my space, my executive reasoning and planning and all of this has just disappeared in the blink, basically the blink of an eye, you know, that pull stick hit me and, you know, an instant. Yeah. 
Um, and that moment of impact changed my life way more than my prior brain injury did. My prior brain injury, it sucked. It, it sounds like the classic concussion and all the the gating of the outside senses, which is a real pain in the butt. Um, yeah, I've but had that not, too. Yeah, it's not the same. But it's not yeah. it's not debilitating. Right. And and so I found the physical symptoms. It sucked, but it was like having. I don't know. It's like having a really bad flu combined with like, I don't even know. It, it's hard to explain, but it was like, it was very physically, like it, it was painful. Yeah. I have a very high tolerance to pain. I could take a hit mm-hmm. and I could keep on going. So the physical pain didn't bother me so much. The headaches, it sucked, but the cognitive aspect losing that or at least losing a pretty significant chunk of that was huge yeah and in a, in a way that i could never explain to someone uh, that was massive it it really fucked me up and still i i still can't visualize very well yeah where are you at with any of that has it come back at all well i mean repeated concussions thereafter have unfortunately further backtracked that process um <laughs> You know, I, I was hoping to really fully recover my ability to visualize. I think that that goal has changed. Um, you know, my goals now are to not have memory attacks and be able to move throughout the day without forgetting yeah. and not have to be constantly referencing a planner or a calendar or a list. Um, that's my goal. But the really aggressively high level visual spatialization. I don't know if that's ever necessarily going to come back. My goal is just really basic functioning. So for those goals, I I went over my transcripts and I went over all the things I had kept from the first year after my injury, which actually wasn't much. But I remember everything needs to start in these micro baby steps. Um, for whatever I wanted to do that I couldn't do, the repetition starts at literally the level that you can do. So let's say you got your list and you have, you know, you wake up and you know, there's going to be things in the next hour. If you can remember the next thing and then everything you try to do becomes this step-by-step repetition. And then every day you can remember the next thing. That's like it's like, it's like every little thing has to be broken down. You do it a bunch of times, once you can do it, one more step, and then one more step. And then that's why it takes so long. But there was a woman who was at the other TBI support group, the brain injury group, and she was she couldn't water her plants. And I'm like, just take half the amount of water, water just one. And as soon as you get there, it becomes this step-by-step repetition. You know, I, I've been snowboarding since I was eight, and... um. It's the same thing with learning how to ski because I did skiing for like one season. You know, like you fall a bunch and it doesn't work and then it starts to work and then all of a sudden it becomes fluid. And then yeah, that, it's, you got to do that progression with remembering what you're going to do next. You know, it, it's so, um, you're already doing, you know, certain things with the cognitive exercises and the visual stuff. Plus if you have the glasses now, it's just, it, dude, it's a long, weird haul, but um, it really comes back. You just got to put the work in. I guess it's work. It's just repetition. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I find with the, especially the like visual spatial kind of like cognitive restructuring exercises that I'm doing. Um, 
How'd you get those? One of those uh, her name is Donnelly Marcus, and she her focus is is cognitive restructuring, and cool. so it's essentially just like pen and like pencil and paper, um, like visual like exercises. Like I can show you um, like an example of like a set that I'm working through right now. So like this is what is it, what it is that I'm doing. Hmm. So you're given a certain set of shapes and then you're given examples of how to draw those shapes. And then essentially you have certain connected sections like uh, this. Yeah. Um, and then you have indications of foreground and background in terms of the dot coloring. So you have light colored that are in the background and dark colored that are in the foreground. Uh. But then they're intersecting and overlapping and it becomes more complicated. And so eventually you get to the point where she doesn't give you this, you know, indication at all of what shape it is. Mm -hmm. And she also takes away the foreground and background indications. Mm -hmm. You essentially just have a bunch of dots that you have to connect. So you got to um, really figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, it, it becomes really complicated as time goes on. Um, and I found prior to my dog jumping up and hitting me in the head, um, I was actually regaining my ability to do a lot of spatial and visual thinking. And obviously I had some setbacks, but it's still the same thing where I can now progressively start to reason through a problem visually. Mm -hmm, I can mm -hmm. think to, even if I can't consciously like visualize, like close my eyes and think of what that would look like, I can reason through it in a, in a somewhat visual way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I have faith that, that that's helping because I notice that as, as the day goes on, I will forget, I'll forget one less thing or I will be able to do a sequence of steps correctly nice. without having to consciously think of what those sequence of steps are. So like when I'm closing out my house, if I screw up that sequence of steps, if I forget to turn off the dinner table light, or I forget to turn off the kitchen lights, or I forget to lock the side door, or I forget to lock the front door, then it's indicative to me that I'm not functioning at a, at a super high cognitive level for that day. You're watching yourself. You're observing if you did it right or wrong. Like, when do you even notice that? Because you don't notice it if you do it wrong. You notice it later, or does someone tell you? Well, you notice it that that's a, that's another thing is like, do I make it all the way upstairs before noticing? Oh man, I think I left the dent the the kitchen table light off. Yeah. Or do I make it out of the kitchen and realize that the dinner table light is off, and then go back and turn it off, and then from that correction point, can I then do that remaining set of steps correctly? With so I have all of these tells throughout the course of my day that are typically ordered lists. And if I can do those correctly, that's great. Like if I, can I take a really basic one that I have is can I take a shower and do all of the steps of <laughs> yeah. showering in proper order, yeah. which I've heard from other people who have had brain injuries and it's really strange, but it's like, can I shampoo my hair, wash my face, put conditioner in my hair, wash my body and then rinse the conditioner out of my hair before getting out of the shower. If I can do those steps correctly, that's huge. But for months, I was not even able to do that really basic set of ordered tasks correctly. I didn't have the shower thing, but you're 
the second person that explained to me that exact same shower thing, um, and for them it was the same thing with getting dressed. And for me it was that with um, anything that involved reasoning with putting something in my mind. Yeah, it, it's 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 a, such a crazy feeling. Um, one thing that you're also talking about, which reminds me so much of what it was like in those years, um, constantly observing yourself to try to not make those mistakes and try to fix it if you are making those mistakes. I was stuck in that observer perspective for about five years. When I shook it off, literally, finally, I think got rid of it was probably three or four years ago, you know, 15 years after my brain injury, but I, I just got stuck. Let me ask you, what's your memory problems like? Because Mine was uh, very strange. Concept is there without the terms, the semantic words, the, the names and the facts. You've given two names of doctors you've worked with. I could give you the explanation of what the doctor did. I can't remember the names. It's always, mm -hmm. it's always a pain. And, and I struggled, I struggle, still struggle with that a lot too, where it's like, I know that I know something. And I, <laughs> the biggest example for me is with celebrities. I'd always been really good at like trivia stuff. I could remember the names of, and after my, my second brain injury, my cognitive brain injury, um, I couldn't remember even like the names of like my roommates because my, my birthday is on January 31st. The injury probably occurred on January 29th. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of my former roommates came and he said, oh, hey, like, how you doing? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of struggling with this brain injury thing, having a little bit of a rough time. He's like, oh, yeah, sorry to hear about that, you know, kind of the standard response. And he was like, oh, yeah, like, introduce me to your new roommates. And I turned to them and I looked at them and I could not remember what their names were. Yeah. And I couldn't, and even if I could remember their first name, I couldn't remember their last name, um, which was super strange you know people that i had known for years i couldn't think of what his i couldn't conceptualize and i found myself in this constant loop of searching people up on facebook and on the internet <laughs> when i couldn't remember who they were wow. and so i would say like oh it was the actor from you know home alone or holes or the actor from this movie or they did this or they have this song or I met this person in this context. So I've kind of played detective basically using technology to supplement for my complete inability to recall names. It's recovered to a certain extent. I obviously like, I'm not forgetting the names of my immediate friends and family anymore, That's good. but there's still times I have no connection to the, the, the subconscious process that's rifling through my disorganized memories did you ever see that that uh, scene in SpongeBob SquarePants where he uh, his like he's like seeing inside of his mind and there's like everything is very organized and filing cabinets and he has a bunch of people going around pulling stuff out when he needs it mm -hmm. and then there's a scene where it's like his mind is just like on fire and all the filing cabinets have gotten knocked over and everybody's running around trying to find things and they're panicking and they can't figure it out. And like, that was the exact same thing that happened for me is I used to have this very organized set of information that I could very easily recall mm -hmm. and following my brain injuries. It's like somebody came through with a sledgehammer and knocked all the filing cabinets down and pulled all the papers out and 
threw them all across the room and, you know, lit the building on fire. And then all of my little people, my little subconscious people are rifling around trying to find stuff. And sometimes they dig through a huge stack of paper and they pull out the one relevant piece of information and declare it to my consciousness. But (laughs) at, um, and, and progressively as time has gone on, they started to create little piles and they started to put things back into the cabinets and the building is still on fire, but they're starting to, to, to order, douse the flames, yeah. but it's still a fractured mess. And Keep, that's dude, if you're there, right now. if you have that happening sometime, I would almost turn it into an exercise because, so for me, it became very clear that I couldn't remember facts, couldn't remember names, but if I start writing it, I would start to remember. It wasn't until about four or five years later when I realized instead of writing it a few times, write it 10 times in the morning, 10 times two hours later. And then, you know, let's say it's a term or a biological term or just anything. I would just start mm-hmm. writing it. And then all of a sudden the, the filing was working better. Um, like your, your file analogy it brings me up to, it brings back my file analogy. It's it so weird. Um, but yeah, if you have it at least starting, just um keep cultivating it because I think that I think you'll get it back. Like I, I really I don't feel like who I was, but I got so many things back. There's um like I said, about five years after my injury I was like, okay, like at least now things are are working <laughs> like pretty good, mm-hmm. you know? Um Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think that it's it is the same thing where it's like I've I've fought and clawed to get back some things and yeah. other things are still very much absent. Um, <laughs> I was selling my computer the other day mm-hmm. um, and the kid who was buying it had everything in mixed bills. And so it was like, you know, five twenties and a couple tens and a sure, five yeah. and a one. And a, it was just very, and so I'm sitting there in front of these people trying to count this cash to sell my laptop. And I had to do it twice. I'm confident that these people are not, you know, selling me short, leaving out a 10 or a 20 in the process. And you get self-conscious too, because you're like, I don't want to count it twice, but I need to know. And then is that whole, it's the observer perspective plus the anxiety plus the, yeah, it's, um, it's such a battle. I don't know. Every, every little thing you're describing, I mean, you're a year after that was the craziest year for me, the. Gaining. It has been the craziest year for me too. Yeah. <laughs> because now, okay, so now they're new rules, but relearning and learning—they're not the same, but they have similar characteristics. I gotta talk yeah. to you about this because I think that we're in the same bag. There's a number of studies looking at socioeconomic status and you know ability to recover from a brain injury. So I grew up in middle class, upper middle class, and I've met people with brain injuries and. If you don't have access to a doctor, if you don't have access to all, you know, the glasses you got right now, yep. I, I know my mom took a year to basically save me. I don't think she realizes it because I was fine eventually. And then like, oh, well, you're fine. So no worries. Um, yeah. I mean, it would, I would be, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be like sound dramatic here or anything, but the the treatments that I've been pursuing, the main thing that they have given me above all else is hope. And and hope is the really the only thing that keeps a person with a brain injury alive, especially a severe brain injury. Yeah. 
And I think the reason why so many people with brain injuries kill themselves is because they don't have any hope. They feel stuck. Mm -hmm. Their lives fall apart. Um, and that was the main thing for me, all of the, the suicidal ideation that I dealt with following my brain injury is I had no hope because I had no direction. Yeah. I had no idea what the fuck you were supposed who, I mean, honestly, who knows? Like, what are you supposed to do to get better from a brain injury? That's the thing. I had no yeah. idea. People still don't know. And that, so that hope is the thing that I've been trying to write. I lost math. I lost the ability to do math in any way. And when I would try to do it, I would hit this blank out where I would just basically pass out from mental fatigue. My speech therapist, she gave me these exercises where here, Daniel, what's four plus two? Uh, six. Now what's that plus five? And I started doing this very basic math in my head, I think for like six months, I don't know, long, long time. And then, and then I could do a math problem. And then that was like, okay, hope I can change this. You know, that that's like the beginning of it. The hope is, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, that was what, um, Dr. Elliot wrote about in his book is, the, the ghost in my oh, brain, the, ghost the, in, yeah. the one that referred me, he, he, he made mention of that too, where it's like, it's so difficult. Like the way that he explained it was that you lose the feeling of being a human. Hmm. Um, I have dealt with some dissociative issues um, where I sort of lose my uh, position in space where I felt as though my body kind of disappeared mm -hmm. and I had this feeling of I'm not in this car and I'm not driving home wow. and I'm not in California and I'm not here and um, so it, it only lasted for a couple of minutes but it was very disturbing yeah it's like you you look like a human you walk like a human sort of you talk like a human sort of you can pretend that you're a human you don't feel like a human for people the way that he explained it is that for people with, with really severe concussions or brain injuries there are certain certain physical parts of your brain that can be so damaged that you don't have the cognitive facilities for being a sentient human being. Yeah. And so the reason, and I think what he postulated is that if you don't feel like a human anymore, if you don't feel like you exist, if you don't feel like yourself anymore, the line between being fully yourself, being a shell of yourself and not feeling like a human and being dead, the, the line is very blurred. You know, That's there's not a whole lot of separation. So that, that, that's how he explained it. Yeah, the, um, the self as a unit of what our brain creates. There's one book, um, Self Comes to Mind by Antonio Damasio. He talks about this, but um, I think what our brain does is create that self. I didn't lose all of it. I lost parts of it and I lost the inner in in my mind in a moment to moment, then I just, I, I faked it. I pretended I can see how it would be the loss of being a human. For me, it was just loss of parts of myself. What did remain though, was the need to be something, do something, you know, that pushed me through my undergrad and through my recovery. And then the other way I think about the brain, which, you know, memory, 
has systems that we know about. Cognition has systems that we know about. There are systems upon systems. I think they, they interconnect and they create bigger, bigger things. I think that at the biggest level, that's where that whole self that is also what you grow up with from the, you know, from development in utero, that's when that's gone or that's changed. It's just so um, strange. Yeah, it's, it's devastating. 